0: Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches and resources to communities, clubs and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from, and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at MomentumProCamps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Got a chance to watch her a little bit on the beach, but I'm excited to learn more about her career. So today's guest played at Stetson, where she's a three-time ASUN all-conference team member. Uh, She represented them in the NCAA tournament. She most recently transferred to LMU, where she also got to represent them at the NCAA tournament. She's already represented Canada at the Youth Worlds level. She's won an Orseeka gold medal. And at the youth level, she's a two-time national medalist. Please welcome to the show, Darby Dunn. Darby, thanks for doing this.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) So this is awesome. So I think people in the BC area would know your name and obviously your brother's representing Canada as well. So you guys may be labeled a little bit as a volleyball family, but for our listeners not familiar with you guys, like how soon did you start playing volleyball? What other sports were you interested as a kid before you got drawn into like beach being your full-time passion?
2: Um, I grew up playing pretty much everything. I think as a typical younger sibling where I copied (laughs) everything my brother does. Um, So... I started off playing soccer, basketball volleyball um and um, I started volleyball in grade six um my mom was my club coach, and um basically she wanted a way to like get us more reps with like less people um because she noticed like at that age, like people are a little more hesitant to go for the ball. And so she thought like I should get them into beach volleyball. Um and funny enough, my family actually built a beach volleyball court in our backyard. And my parents were really good friends with Kira Ayanoni's dad. And so they contacted her to see if she would coach us and um my brother included. And beach volleyball was like the first sport that Like, I was learning, like, at the same time as my brother. It wasn't as much copying him as we both, like, started it at the same time and um, just really started to love it right away. Um, I didn't quit other sports until, like, grade 12, but um, by then, like, I knew I wanted to pursue volleyball, beach volleyball full time
1: nice nice and when you say you had a court in your backyard was that where most of the training and games were going on or was that something fun to do in like your free time and then if you had a a session run by coach Kira or someone else like you were going to like kids beach or somewhere like that or where were you doing most of your training
2: Uh, we did a lot of training in our backyard and um, Kira was training nick del bianco and ben chow at the time and uh the three of them would actually come and coach me and like a bunch of girls from my club team and then also like my brother had a group going um yeah so we did a lot of training at our house and then tournaments were at uh, spanish banks in vancouver
1: That's awesome. And I think one thing that's great about volleyball is once you figure out the net height thing with, with co-ed, you can have some pretty good battles. So even though your brother's a little bit older and playing in like the boys division, right, Were there some battles going on in the backyard where you would play co-ed, like sometimes with them, sometimes against them. Like, what was that like? Because I think having access to a court just gives you a lot of freedom to be creative and create these competitions, right? Yeah,
2: for sure. And my brother and I were both really competitive people. uh, And we both really like fell in love with beach volleyball and we would go there and play a lot, like sometimes my brother would drag me out there like in the mornings early if I wasn't wanting to get up. He would literally dump a bucket of water on me. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, we played a lot of short court and then my mom also played volleyball. Um so and my dad's just very competitive, very athletic guy, so We played against them actually a lot and we'd switch up the teams uh, and we still do like every summer we usually have at least a couple family matches that happen. Yeah.
1: And for you growing up, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the NCAA was like as big as it was, or there like there wouldn't be a goal for you to get a scholarship with say like a 14 year or a 15 year athlete. So, were your goals just to be like the best at Spanish, the best in Canada? Like, were you just playing because it was fun? Like, did you have long term goals, or you were just really enjoyed the sport that much and it was kind of helping you play indoor, which might be like more of a clear pathway at the time?
2: Yeah, um, I don't think I really thought about it long term just for beach volleyball. Um I know my mom always says to me that like when I was uh really little I just told her like I don't know what sport it is but like one day I'm going to the Olympics nice. <laughs> and like that that's kind of like always been like in the back of my mind. Like I every Olympics I've always watched it with my family and i like, enjoyed watching like every sport. Um so that's still like a big goal for me and just like getting better every year. Like I remember grade eight indoor volleyball, I got called up to go with the senior team to provincials. It wasn't really like I was gonna play. It was more like to show me kind of what that next level was like. And um I just remember sitting there on the bench just like looking at like all these games happening and like watching the finals and being like, wow, like this is so out of my league. Like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get there, but like slowly and surely, like year after year, got a little bit better, a little bit better. And like, I was playing on my senior team by like grade 10, I think, which is pretty normal for like the area that I lived in. But it's just crazy looking back every step, like, just seeing where you can go and like how far you can go and how much changes in like five years and like even less than that, how much can change in just one year.
1: Yeah. It's cool to hear the the family support you got, but I'm curious, were you the one really driving this? Cause I, again, learning about your, your career a little bit, like BC has like a, obviously the circuit to play on, but then there's like BC summer games, there's Canada Western games. Uh, You went to Canada games, like you're playing at nationals. Were you the one always pushing me? Like, I want to try out for this. I want to play in this. I believe you actually even went to an AAU tournament. Like you're, you're really taking this seriously and looking for these extra competitions to get. So was it always you asking mom and dad to go, or were they the ones also searching me like, Hey Darby, you should try out for this or see if you can go to this one too.
2: I think it was like a very, combined effort like they didn't want to push me if it wasn't what I wanted and um, my mom didn't want to push me into volleyball just because she did volleyball so they really like let me have some autonomy with my like sports and everything and um yeah like I just wanted to keep doing more and more and more and more and like like you said earlier like I didn't really know about like college beach being an option. I always just thought like, oh, I, I guess I'll have to go to indoor and then like transition to beach after. Um, but yeah, I like loved going to California and like playing in some of those tournaments and just like trying to get um, as many opportunities as possible.
1: Yeah, like let's pull on that for a second, because again, I, I didn't know this at the time, but uh you actually played a year at Douglas. Like you played at the college level indoors. So when you were thinking about recruiting and playing at the next level, like it looked like you were gonna follow maybe, lack of a better term, a traditional pathway for many Canadians as you do your college or university and then you play beach when you graduate. So uh it looked like you would come to terms to play indoor. But when you were at your first year, at Douglas, did you start emailing coaches or did they start contacting you? When did beach at the next level become an option while you were still playing like indoor, right?
2: Mm-hmm. um Kira was still one of my like beach volleyball coaches, and she really wanted me to pursue whatever I wanted, and like she knew it was beach volleyball for me. um So like in grade 11, I think that's when I started doing like tournaments in California um, and like trying to get some exposure there, and like I did. Um, a recruiting showcase in Florida, um, and then I think there was like a tournament thereafter. And I got like a little bit of exposure at both of those. Um and like had some coaches talking to me at the showcase, but like it wasn't quite enough to make it like financially viable. Um, I know I know like American education is so expensive and like being Canadian, like it's pretty pretty hard um so yeah I was just like really wanting to make that happen but I didn't know that like that would actually end up being an opportunity um yeah and Kira just was like my beach coach and just such a great coach um and like she was helping me like working with me and it was never like come play for me for five years and then we'll get you on the beach it was like. Come play for me for like a year, uh, and like I want to help you find something on the beach for the next four years.
1: And did you ever like? Obviously, the NCAA at the time like it didn't have as many schools as it did now. As you're graduating, like I'm sure it's grown a lot. But was there ever any hesitation with you being a BC athlete that you really wanted to go to California? Like I'm curious how you ended up like across the continent and then landed up at like a Florida school.
2: Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I first was looking, like, California just seemed like such a sweet deal. Like, it was closer to home and just, I don't know, the California lifestyle. I feel like being from D.C., like, it's just so ingrained. Like, everybody loves, like, going there to visit. And, um, yeah, it, it, like, I had been to Florida. um I assume that's, like, a more popular, like, vacation spot for Ontario. Like, I feel like that's kind of our California. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, like, when I went and did that showcase, that was, like, my first time being in Florida. And, like, being in that heat (laughs) was a little intense. uh, But we survived. And it's, yeah, I just, that's where, like, opportunities kind of came up Um, and yeah I'm just very thankful for the opportunities
1: that I did get nice nice so you you play a year of college so you're obviously like a post-secondary level athlete but then when you get to the NCAA did you have any certain expectations did you think it was going to be a jump like was it everything you realized like what was that first semester like at Stetson just going through like the the fall practices and getting used to the NCAA level
2: so weird to think back on now (laughs) it feels like so long ago i think for me i didn't really think much about like whether i'd be in the starting lineup or not i was just there trying to work hard and get better every day um and like it was a big adjustment going from like british columbia to central Florida, but, um, it was, it was really fun. Um, at the same time, like they had a very big international community at Stetson and, um, I met some of like my closest friends there. Um, got a few like really good friends all over the world now. Um, and that also played beach volleyball. But yeah, I think like that international community really helped me like settle in really quickly. And then it just became like beach volleyball again.
1: And How did you feel as a Canadian? Because I'm still amazed by the format about like you're a squad and there's teams within teams and there's this dual system. So, like you said, like you didn't have expectation or your heart set on like, oh, I'm going to be disappointed if I'm not a ones pair because maybe at the time you didn't even know what the ones were, right? Like you're just this Canadian being like, oh, we, we're playing together for a score for our school, but I have to win my match. Like, how did that come apart? Because it seems like in Canada, no matter what, like you're signing up for a tournament with your partner and you're just going to beat everybody, there's not this dual system going on with a best of five. So, did, did somebody really? have To explain it to you, you're just kind of like, oh, I'll see how this goes and we'll play it out.
2: Um, I learned like I kind of heard about it before I went down, and then um, once I was there, like in the preseason, my first preseason, our tournaments were just like regular tournament style, so I didn't like have that yet. But then, like, once we got to spring semester, um, uh, I got like my first experience with that and I just remember like it was just really cool like having that like big team aspect again. Um and like playing more for like just than just yourself, um like playing for a team. And like I think like it can be such a great thing. Especially like if you lose and then your team comes around and like wins it for you. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's just such an interesting concept.
1: Yeah. And were there any moments that, like, fired you up throughout the season? Because, obviously, Stetson's well-known in a beach volleyball sense. Like, there's been a lot of good players come through there. But do you ever get fired up when you play, like, a Florida State or a USC or some of the other schools that maybe – uh, I'm, lack of a better term just more famous I guess in the college sports world just in general that they might be on NBC for other sports like football basketball whatever like when you played like a bigger school like that did you ever get fired up or did it just feel like another game on the schedule
2: I think like during my time at LMU um we did a really good job of like taking it like one game at a time and trying to teach you trying to treat every team the same. Like that being said, like you will, like, there was more, like, I want to get number one. Like I want to beat number one or like those, those teams that like play time and time again. Um, There was that like kind of like rivalry um, and added like fuel to the fire. But I think we, got really excited for every game that we got to play. And like this year, especially um, after last year, like we talked at the beginning of the year, like we don't know how long the season is going to last um, just with COVID and everything. Like it could get shut down in an instant. And like, you know how that felt from last year and just really being grateful for every game we get to play.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And just to, to finish up on Stetson, and- did it feel like a big jump when you got to go to the tournament? Cause looking at the ASEAN conference, like it's a good conference, but you had a lot of success, like you, a couple undefeated seasons, like you're just putting together these strings of wins. So going from your conference to like the big final tournament, did that ever feel like a, a big change for you? Or again, was the level similar enough with your conference and the rest of the country that you could go and battle and be confident or, or was there any like big change that did affect your approach a little bit?
2: I think we we had like a really tough schedule all year round. Um, So we went undefeated uh, as a school in our conference. Um, So I think like we kind of had that expectation um, that we were going to win our conference, but we didn't know what was going to happen with nationals. I mean, it's always such a tough race to get into like, Everybody beats everybody. There's upsets here and there, but we had a really strong schedule, and we were pretty confident that we would make the tournament. Um, and it was just so exciting to like have our name called and get to experience that. Um, and I think like when I first got to nationals, because it was something I'd never experienced before. There was added nerves. There was like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And I think, like, we did check in and say, like, we got here. We deserve to be here. Like, we're here for a reason. We don't have to do anything special. We just have to do what we've been doing all year. We've been playing good teams all year, um and now it's just time to show everyone who we are, what we can do.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's such a great message, because it it, it is different. Like, nobody can convince me it's not, but it's still just volleyball, right? And I think, like, the media day, ESPN, like, different conferences coming together, like, it it definitely is different. But like you said, everyone there deserves to be there. And that doesn't change anything, right? It's just the the extra distractions outside the court that I think add up.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: So help me understand this. So it feels like you milked all the eligibility you can get out of a post secondary career. So you play a year at Douglas, you play your years at Stetson and then you transfer to LMU. So congratulations on your master's, by the way, that's a great accomplishment. So, how did it go about transferring? Like, did you have any fears that you would have to sit or do anything like that when you first started? How did you pick LMU? Like what goes into that process where you decide you want to continue your education, you're switching schools. Like what, take the conversation from there. What happens next?
2: Basically I, like my degree was uh, able to finish faster because of all my credits from Douglas transferring over. So, um, I was trying to get into speech language pathology programs in Canada, but, um, I didn't have like everything required to get in. And also it's pretty tough to get into in Canada. Like there's not very many programs that are available, so it's really competitive. And like, I was a pretty good student, but like not quite to that Standard, <laughs> and yeah, I basically was looking for a program that would either get me a speech-language pathology degree or help me get into one. And so, basically, like I obviously talked to Christina about it beforehand, uh, my coach at Stetson, um, just saying like, I do have to put my education first. Um, that is why I'm here. <laughs> Not just volleyball. But then I went to like our compliance people and like had to sign something and then they put me in like the transfer portal. And so that's where college coaches look for transfers um, because they can't contact you unless you're in that portal uh, because it's an NCAA violation. And so I. Was like reaching out to people, like trying to find somewhere that had a speech-language pathology program and would want me. <laughs> and then John uh, Mayer ended up emailing me about LMU, and um, I I don't really <laughs> I don't really know. I just like talked to him and like. He was really persistent and like seemed like such a genuine uh great person and coach and I really liked everything he was saying about his speech program and also about um the educational studies program that I went into uh, at aU. yeah, it just seemed like such a great fit like the program was in education but able to. Like mold for my my own interests, um, so it wasn't like super strict. Um, yeah, and I ended up meeting my like best friends in California through that program, so I'm very glad that I did it.
1: Nice, yeah. And then again, just looking up and down the roster of LMU, it looked very similar to Stetson, where. I mean, there is some California athletes, but there's athletes from other states, and then there's more internationals, right? So did that help you feel comfortable again? That like not only are you you might be the only Canadian, I think, in LMU, but you're certainly weren't the only foreigner, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Selena and Reka from Switzerland and Italy—they were also international. Um, Definitely, is like a a special bond um, between international students and. Like, I mean, the whole team culture at LMU was amazing. Like, it was just such a special experience. Like, they're all just, like, such genuine people. It was really easy to fit into that team there, Um, even coming in as a transfer graduate student.
1: Nice. And... I'm a big John Mayer fan. We've had him on the show and I listened to his podcast, coach your brains out and, and not to downplay your other coaches, but I just want to take a deep dive into John's because I think in the sport community, there's so much theory out there and every once in a while I'll hear or read something and be like, I don't know if that's going to work. So I want to get a top level athlete like yourself's perspective. And the, where I want to start is he's got this thing that he's calling ecological approach where, you know, everybody's an individual. There's not one way to do things. And he's even, you know, moving away from like the coach is going to give you the answers and they're just going to put you in situations. So I'm curious as an athlete, like, how did you feel like you grasp at this? Like you're going to practice and all of a sudden coach isn't giving you answers. They're just asking you questions. And what do you think? And giving you all this autonomy, like as a high level athlete, did it ever reach a breaking point where you're just like, just give me the answer versus like, okay, I'm going to figure this out on my own.
2: I actually really loved it. I'm not going to lie. There were, there were points um <laughs> where i get really frustrated. <laughs> but uh John would always say to me, like after practice, like if I'd mentioned, oh man, like that one drill just got me so frustrated and he'd be like, Well, that's our job, just to add like the right level of frustration. Like if I if I never frustrating you then I feel like I'm not challenging you enough. Um, and I'm not doing my job there. Yeah, and like I really loved like, his style of coaching, like, um, even last year before he started doing this new style, um, yeah, I have nothing (laughs) but great things to say about John, but yeah, like, this year, I just found it was just really cool, like, coming to practice, and it was, it kind of felt like, like, almost like (laughs) playtime at the start, it was like, what, what's gonna, what's he gonna bring now, like, something new, something completely different, Um yeah, and it was just really fun like trying to problem solve. And I felt like that was one of our team's biggest like accomplishments this year, like being able to problem solve at such a high level. And I do feel like that um in part was from like such uh interesting coaching style. Like just like kind of like not creating a problem, but like setting up a problematic like situation and like trying to figure out how to work your way out of it
1: yeah I was hoping you could give us some some specific examples so Like when we had him on the show, I asked him about autonomy and he's just like, listen, autonomy isn't you show up to practice and say, Hey squad, like, what are we working on today? Like he's going to be planned and he's going to be organized. But where does the autonomy come in for you that like Darby needs this feedback or needs this scoring system for her drill versus like Josh over here, Josh is working on this. So that's like his autonomy. Like, how, how did you feel like that was being applied that you could give feedback of what you're working on? And then things were like athlete centered towards you, if that makes sense.
2: Um, That does make sense. Uh, Let's see. We had, uh, because of COVID, we had to keep practices pretty small. So um, I think especially at the start, he was really specific with, like, the people he put together um, so that he could, like, kind of focus on similar things. And I think a big thing for me um, being, like, a pretty medium-sized blocker was um, focusing on my read blocking and um, one very specific drill that helped me a lot was we call it blocker challenge and basically what it is is as a blocker I when I when the other side is attacking off of a, a bowl like just a tossing the ball in they're attacking and if they swing I have to jump and block but if they're shooting I have to be off the net like I don't have to get like super far off the net but I can't block if they're shooting so for me like first time doing that drill it was pretty frustrating um but then like John would come over and be like hey Garb how'd that drill go for you and Like, you just break down every, like, break down the drill, like, every single time, just asking for, like, our feedback after, like, what we felt was working, what we felt wasn't working, um, stuff like that, and yeah, I'd say that was, like, a big drill for me, like, that helped me so much this year, yeah.
1: And one thing they say on their show a lot is that uh, like easy doesn't build confidence for them. So they, like you said, they want things to be frustrating they want it to be hard, but uh, I'm curious what tools do they help give you? Cause it's one thing to like for a coach just to make practice really hard and frustrating. Like that could be enjoyable for some people, but don't break them down if you can't build them back up. Right. So what were some of the tools being talked about, at LMU that like, when you get frustrated, like, where does your mind go? How can you be problem solving? And all those things you talked about, like what were some of the soft skills or tools you guys were also working on that you could then apply on the court when you're, you're just in one and you're so frustrated and things aren't going your way.
2: Um, It was really cool. Like John had like an Olympic level staff that we got to work with. We had like a sports psych coach um, that we got to meet with think every second week uh bernie holiday he was just like so amazing and like so many of uh like our team mottos come from him and like just like so like influential and supportive and yeah um i think like the biggest thing at lmu was like having that learning first focus Yeah, like I never felt like when I messed up, like the coaches were aggravated or like annoyed or anything. It was just like they wanted us learning all the time. Um, And like just their approach to it was very like learning positive. Um, They didn't want to like spoon feed us the answers. They wanted us to like learn it for ourselves. And like even with like self talk, they wanted us to be able to like teach ourselves kind of how to get out of that negative self-talk like sometimes john if like he could see you frustrated um would come up to you and just like ask about like what you're doing or what you're feeling or like after a drill ask like how did that drill like make you feel what did you learn yeah so it's just like a very like reflective kind of like team culture
0: Friend of the show, Jeff Miller, started an amazing golf brand called Club Jason. Designed with quality in mind, Jason sets no limits on comfort, feel and appeal. They are devoted to growing the game of golf and creating opportunities for those who could benefit greatly from a little extra support. 10% of all sales will go to a Club Jason scholarship for a female golfer. An additional 10% of all sales will go towards junior golf programs in Ontario. Club Jason wanted to pass on some savings to you, official friend of the show. Use promo code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S, at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Jason also offers free shipping in North America on any order over $99. Visit clubjasoncom that's C-L-U-B-J-S-O-N.com to check out their amazing clothing and to learn more Jason, join the club.
1: And if it's not too personal, would you mind sharing like one of the mottos that you got attached to? Because I think mottos are funny. Like you go to different universities and you see on the weight room wall, like oh, only the strong survive or protect this house. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Versus like when you make one as a team that you can like boil down to a daily behavior that everyone buys into. Like I think that's where the money is, right? So any LMU mottos you could share with me and the listeners? Um, I think the one
2: that really spoke to me was uh black belt skills white belt um white belt attitude so like really having those like refined skills but like approaching volleyball like I'm a newbie (laughs) like like I haven't been playing it for I don't know how many years it's been
1: (laughs) that's that's awesome yeah so with learning being so important, I'm wondering, what are you doing personally as an athlete to help your own feedback loop? Like, are you an athlete who's big on, you're going to watch video before and after you're going to journal? Are you going to do some visualization? Um, I I know John's big on like, let's be grateful and and that type of things. Like what would you maybe do? Like, I don't know, let's pick a random example. Practice starts at four o'clock. Like what time do you start doing your process to get ready for four o'clock?
2: I'd say like our visualization usually started like five to ten minutes before practice, like after setup and everything. Um so I'd probably get there like half an hour early to like set up and like stretch out a little bit and then like in the middle of like getting warm we'd go and like do some visualization. Usually, like right by the ocean, sitting in the sand. Yeah, and like a different, it was like a different type of meditation every single time. Uh, sometimes it was just like visualization, and uh, this year we had Carissa, and she would talk us through it. Last year, Betsy talked us through it. And then sometimes we had like different types of uh, breath meditation that we do in groups. Yeah, and then like, warm-up I've gotten pretty short on my warm-up lately like (laughs) John's not much into warm-up he's more into volleyball (laughs) um so yeah like it it doesn't take a lot to get me to warm up like I think just like a few runs um maybe some like yoga before that and like any kind of like movement that I feel that I need like usually I'll do some like uh shadow chases or like walking and then
1: Feeling. Um, yeah no now i'm curious again like i think the old school mentality would say like if you're learning you're not performing because your mind's not there like you're not playing free and reacting and responding and being an athlete so where would you say you find that line like it's practice for learning and you're okay making mistakes and like really analyzing without maybe judging your performance like versus on game day do you find your mind goes to a different spot or are you in the same place like where maybe for for coaches or younger players listening right now, like is there a difference between how you perform and practice and in competition? Like is there a difference in learning and performing or have you guys found a way to like combine the both?
2: Um, I think we want to practice like we'll play. Um, And that's always been like a big goal for me, uh, practicing it in practice so that like when I get to a game, it's comfortable, it's not something new. Um, And I think, like, learning is always important. Like, if you're playing against a team and you're not learning, I don't think you're, like, really picking up what they're doing or, like, getting better. Um, And I think, like, for me, um, sometimes I can be over-analytical, and that's, like, a big thing that I've learned at LMU. Like, um, there is a time to think and then there's a the time to play and you don't want to like muddle the two together. Um, like I think taking a couple of seconds after the point's done and like thinking about it, but then like, once you're ready to move on, it's blank slate and just like moving on um, as if it's kind of new.
1: Nice. Yeah. Like I-, I think the the laws or the principles of motor learning would say like if you, if you peel and you don't get a dig, like I don't think your mind should go to like how your hands were right, like it comes back to like the decision or the cue to peel, right? Is that fair to say like where your mind goes during a game versus like maybe not how to move, but maybe what you're doing? is that fair to say?
2: yeah, yeah, that's true, um more like external kind of, yeah, I'd say like we practice a little bit more like that too, um like when I'm focusing. Where I want to serve, I'm not thinking about like how I'm jumping or how I'm tossing the ball. I'm thinking like further away from me. Um, yeah.
1: So this season starts, and like you said, everyone's aware that COVID could hit at any second and kind of cancel it. But as you're getting through the rhythm of like, there's a competition. There's going to be an NCAA national championship. Like. Was it ever addressed within your squad or your school about like some of the the major issues happening off court, like the NCAA men and women's basketball tournament, like the comparison of facilities and access there and then your your event gets announced and all of a sudden there's going to be no fans and it's really limited like what the venue is going to look like. Is that something that, that Coach Mayer and the other coaches are talking about with the team or like are you learning about that through the media? Like was that ever something that you drew attention to or you were just honestly so grateful that you could compete that you didn't care what the meals look like, what the weight room look like, fans or no fans—like you were just there to to play on your court and compete.
2: I think like like most people kind of learned it from the media first, because um, yeah, it did kind of like surprise everyone seeing the inequalities. And yeah, I think like it is something really important, um, and I I. Personally, don't feel like those differences there were just because of COVID. Um, because I mean, it's like men's and women's, so they are getting different treatment. Um, but personally, like I, I was just like very grateful to be playing and like to be able to play. I wasn't like hyper focused on the differences but I was kind of like disappointed in the NCAA for that. Um and yeah, I, I know like um with our tournament like COVID I mean, I mean like definitely had an effect on like how many people were allowed to be there and like the whole nationals experience. Um but for me personally like I was just so grateful to get to experience what I got to experience with my team. Like I, I just wanted to play volleyball. Um, Yeah.
1: And kind of putting you on the spot here, but because you had already been to the tournament and then you go again during this year, like the COVID year, I mean, other than the fans, did it feel the same? Like, was the housing the same, the meals the same, the, the shuttle to the venue, the actual venue? Like, did anything stand in your mind that you're kind of like, oh, this is different? Or did it honestly, like, you take the fans out of the equation, which makes total sense for, like, safety-wise. W- was it still Alabama Shores, or was there some noticeable difference?
2: There were noticeable differences. Like, we didn't have the banquet um, the night before the tournaments. But I think, like... Our team did a good job of just like embracing the experience um no matter like what was there um I felt like we were really prepared for it and um personally like I just wanted to play (laughs) I, I just was like again like very grateful to be back there and be able to compete against like the top eight teams in the country and yeah that's all I was really focused on like I was bummed that there wasn't a banquet and that we didn't get like a t-shirt or something (laughs) We, we did get backpacks though very nice backpacks and a mini volleyball but um yeah I I just was more focused on the volleyball because for me that's what it's about, like the volleyball and the connections that I made with like my teammates, past and present.
1: And did you put any extra stock into this because it was your championship? Like this was your senior year, and this was going to be it. Like, did your mind kind of wander towards that? Like, this is this is the peak for me in my NCAA career, or were you able to kind of separate it and say like This is a game. This is important, but it's not like my whole career on the line or anything like that."
2: Um, I think, like going into it, I was just, like, so thankful that I got to play at the NCAA for my last games um, in NCAA, but at the same time, I was, like, not, like, hyper-focused on the fact that it was my last NCAA games because I knew it wasn't going to be my last, like, beach volleyball games, Um, and... Yeah, like I really wanna pursue more beach volleyball and always more and more and more. Um but like there there was definitely that like feeling like wow I'm gonna miss this. I wish I got a couple more. Um but yeah, I'm I'm also thankful to like have the ability to like try and pursue um, FIVB beach volleyball.
1: And I think one thing that's overblown in the media a little bit that I I don't think it really affects the players, but I'm curious, um, Correct me if I'm wrong, LMU winning that first round, was that the first first round win in program history? Like, is that something the athletes think about or care about? Like, I always laugh and like, oh, the Toronto Blue Jays haven't won a series at Yankee Stadium in, like, six years. I don't think the current player is on that team. Uh, that's probably not even a true fact, by the way. But I don't think the current players are thinking about that, where in the media it sounds cool. But for LMU, like, did you guys talk about how important this was for the program, or did it really just boil down to, like, what's important for everybody on the squad right now and we have a game in front of us today versus, like, I don't know the legacy of the program or something like that.
2: I think like everything we did at nationals was kind of like groundbreaking for the program because it was the the program's first like NCAA nationals appearance. Um, so um, I think like after that first win, everybody was super excited and like just so pumped and like. I don't know, it's it's a great feeling to feel. Um, but at the same time I was like telling everyone I was like, Okay, remember we have one more game. It's also <laughs> very important, like this is really exciting, but like I don't want everyone to like be on this like emotional high and then like come into the next game just super drained So yeah, I I did feel like I was like not trying to like level everybody out, but like let them like experience like that that feeling that like first round win but like we also wanted a second round win.
1: (laughs) yeah that's so interesting right like as an athlete have you found the line between like I'm fired up. We just accomplished something special. Oh, but we have a job to do. And I think in our sport, the the biggest clearing thing for me would be you qualify for like a four-star and you're like so fired up because you've made it. But then you're right. You got to go back to work the next day and you got a next one, right? So NCAA, you guys win the first game. Awesome. We're in one. Like, let's go get this versus like, do you celebrate? Like, where do you draw the line of like appreciating what you have and being grateful versus we're not done here. This is a business trip and we got more to do.
2: Yeah, actually, funny you say that. We we did use the line business trip a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we had like a big mentality of just one game, and so um, yeah, that was like our focus—just like one game, one game at a time. Like our first game with LSU, we went into the huddle and we're like, "Okay, guys, we got one game today. That's all that matters. We got one game." And then again versus. UCLA, uh, in that that next round game, we were like, okay, guys, we just got one game today. Like, that's it. That's all we have today. Um, Yeah, so I think that was a really big focus for us. And I think for me, personally, um, like, I think I'm, like, a pretty stable player. Like, I do get excited for, like, big plays and, like, big wins. But at the same time, like, I think, like, I I come back down pretty quick and, like, want to get focused on, like, the next game as soon as I can.
1: And you may have been more prepared for this than maybe some of your teammates because you had already, you know, played at an FIB level, played at an Orsika level, that you're used to the concept of not having a coach. But, uh, again, just one more John Mayer question. He kind of prided himself on – Coaches weren't always going to talk every side change. They weren't going to hold your hands. Where you see other programs and like the coaches in their ear every side change, they're showing them the clipboard. Like they're they're almost acting as if like maybe like, and I don't mean this as a slight, an indoor coach, like they're so involved and they want to be talking every point where it, it didn't seem like LMU did that. And then hearing John confirm that wasn't something they did as an athlete. Did you feel that as it was empowering or was there ever a moment you're kind of like, you know, coach, you're really putting us at a disadvantage because the team I'm playing against like every two side changes, they know my shot chart and they're looking at me versus you're just you're just in the timeout area waiting for us to like, ask you a question. Like, did that ever get frustrated or did it just that that was empowering and you guys were going to take it as an advantage for your squad somehow?
2: I think for us, it was really empowering because we felt like we were prepared well enough that we like didn't need to lean on our coaches. Like, obviously they're amazing. And like, when we call a timeout, we're like, okay, like give us all your information. But I think like, um as a team like one of our big values being learning another one was adaptability um and yeah I I just felt like we were all really well prepared to take on those challenges and like if he did have something like that he didn't think we were catching or something like then maybe he would like call us over or something but like we felt very confident in our own abilities to make
1: the changes, Um, yeah. Nice, and again, learning about your path, like I don't think it's a traditional Canadian one because you actually represented Canada and then went back to post-secondary, but uh, I'm just curious, did that international experience help with your NCAA career and just beach career overall where, you know, you, you felt the pressure of coming to Toronto and playing in Orseca trial to win a chance to represent Canada? You go, you, you take down, I think, the the Mexico La Plaza event. Uh you were at the Canada three star in Edmonton, so you've played at a high level. Like, did going back and forth help, or do you feel like the the pathway is there by a reason and you should go post secondary before you go international and kind of climb the ladder that way?
2: I think like Personally, I followed a very untraditional path, but, like, I think that's part of what makes me, like, the player that I am. And I think, like, all my experiences have helped my, like, future experiences. Um, And I think, like, whatever way you can get more volleyball is the best way. Yeah, and I do think that, like, My NCAA experiences have helped my like FIVB, Narctica experiences, um, and like vice versa. Like um, pressure is pressure, and like going from NCAA to FIVBs helped me like with that bigger pressure. And yeah, I I just really like putting myself (laughs) in those high pressure situations and seeing like how I respond, um, and what I'm capable of.
1: Nice. And what was your kind of first impression of either a Norseka or an FIVB? Like, uh, again, did that feel like a jump from maybe what you were playing like locally or provincially or even Canada games? Like is a Norseka just different? And then like playing at a three-star, obviously you're going to play top teams there, but I think you played, um the americans which may have been similar to like maybe an ncaa feel maybe closer than a, a true world tour feel because of just the familiarity and the pathway that we had all experienced right so what when you look back at at that the jump or lack of a better term is there that big of a jump or is the game really similar because you've played at such a high level
2: um i think like now the ncaa is really growing and there's so many like great athletes in NCAA beach volleyball, that it's getting to be like a bit less of a jump. um But like at the same time, like there is still a jump like between uh, college and FIVB. But I think that's like kind of necessary um and like a part of the process. um So I, I do think like there is a difference, but it's not necessarily like a bad thing.
1: Now, learning about your career and your process and how just switched on you are with learning, I don't imagine you've ever done this, but did the Norseka give you credibility that you've already won in an international tournament that like when you go to the NCAA, like you, you feel like you have some credibility or something to anchor to? Like, I, I know you never say, hey, coach, like, I don't need to do this. I'm an international gold medalist. Uh, but did that just give you confidence, right? Because you've already like been on a podium at an international tournament
2: um yeah i think like that did give uh some confidence and just like some reassurance because i think like at times some of these tournaments can be really tough like that three star that you mentioned got a little beat up <laughs> in that <laughs> qualifier um so yeah like having those like positive experiences definitely like reinforces like that reminder like i can do this like. It's it's not always like gonna be a huge struggle. Like it does get easier. Um not necessarily easier, but get better. <laughs>
1: yeah. Nice. Nice and then just for our listeners, like you you've made the trip home. You're you're in quarantine, but I'm curious, uh what what's next? What's the big plan this summer? Like are you gonna be doing some coaching with Side Out? Or are you gonna have an opportunity to train full time and, and you know, continue this beach thing? Are you taking a bit of an off season? Like what's what's next for you, I guess, in the short term here?
2: So um I'm currently looking at booking a flight to Bulgaria. Um and there's a training camp that's kind of going on there. Um and yeah that's kind of what i'm looking at um not as soon as i get out of quarantine but like a week after maybe um and yeah i'm just trying to play more volleyball
1: <laughs> awesome and then uh for for my own curiosity i'm sure the listeners are wondering too. uh do you have a partner set up for this or are you going to like train is just kind of get the reps or are you looking to maybe sneak into a Bulgaria one-star which are crazy right now like uh, the lack of competitions in the FIV right now has made like 90 teams sign up for a one-star where I think like less than 30 get in if you include the qualifier right so uh, are you looking to compete shortly or are you just looking for someone to train with right now like what would what would a COVID FIV season look for you I guess um
2: I'm not completely sure yet I don't currently have a Canadian partner um John did set me up with this really cool opportunity. Um, So I'll be over there. And I was, I did have a Canadian partner um, lined up, but she had to pull out um, for personal reasons. Um, So I'm going to be over there training um, full time and then probably play some of their like local tournaments with another LMU girl that's over there right now
1: that's awesome yeah because uh as we're recording this the sofia first one star just ended and speaking to my guys like jake and will first class facility over there like the food's great the courts are nice like the the bulgarian federation is really trying to grow beach volleyball so they're really catering to the players so it just sounds like a a great opportunity so yeah even if you don't get into a competition i still think you're going to get a lot out of it because there's just so much going on there and i think I think they're hosting three more one-stars and probably a bunch of national tour stuff. So it seems like the spot to be. I'm a little jealous that you get to go and I don't, but really enjoy it and I'll be rooting for you. Um, it, it's been great to learn about your career and your process, but man, one tradition we've made on the show is just funny and odd stuff seems to happen to volleyball players just because our sport's so awesome. And there's so many personalities. Uh, I was hoping you could share a, a funny story or an odd story about something that happened to you before we let you go.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think my first Norsika experience was a very, a very true Norsega experience. Really got that, um, initiation. <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, um, I think it was a couple of years ago in like September, sometime in the fall. And I was in school. I had some big assignments I was trying to turn in. Wi-Fi was not great. Ended up just not being able to work on the Wi-Fi at all. But that wasn't even the tough part. Um, we show up to the, the meeting, uh, the pre-tournament meeting, and like all the teams are there, and everyone's just talking like. It's already, like, 15 minutes past, soon it's 30 minutes past, like, 45 minutes past, okay, we're finally starting the meeting, and then they're talking, they're going on and on and on and on about the tournament, the facility, and um, thanking, think, like, every person they know, <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> They, like, end the meeting, and they're like, oh, by the way, like, our guy in charge of the tournament isn't here yet, so uh, when he gets here, like, we're going to slip the tournament draw underneath your door at, like, five in the morning. So, like, write your names down on the piece of paper that's getting passed around, and we'll be sure to give you a draw. (laughs) And, And somebody just goes, oh, so, like, what time's first game? And they're like, uh, probably nine. And we're like, probably? He's like, yeah, probably nine. We're like, mm, <laughs> can we say like a for sure time that it won't start sooner then? And he's like, I oh, just like check under your door at like 6 a.m., 5, 5 or 6 a.m. and see like what time your game starts. And we're like, okay, cool, cool. We've heard stories. We're prepared for this. And then um, I was also sick at the time, like just a little cold. Um, and I was just like coughing all night, like (laughs) trying not to keep my partner up. Um, yeah, poor Devin. (laughs) And um, she wakes up at like five in the morning. Both wake up, and there's no draw under our door. We're like, okay, cool. Like maybe somebody else has it. I guess we'll check at breakfast. We don't. We go down at like six a.m. and um, we just see like. A bunch of teams sitting there so we're like hey like can check your draw we didn't get one um and we have like a nine or ten a.m. match so we're like okay cool like we're good we're all set um and then like we played our match everything went well some teams like we're getting two matches in before like noon and then other teams like didn't play until like 6 p.m. we're like okay this <laughs> this is weird, but." that's okay we're we're just going with it um and then the next day like I forget how the tournament went exactly it wasn't like our best volleyball or anything but um it ended up getting like not rained out but like there was there was like a torrential downpour while people were playing and like it got so windy and there was like the courts were already kind of, like, flooding because they are right beside the ocean. And so, like, the barricades were just, like, the little small plastic things. And the ocean had already, like, come up on, like, one of the courts. So now, like, the tournament was down to, like, two courts. And uh, they had this, like, giant metal tent in the middle. And um, it got so windy. And, like, the tent was way down. But, like, it got so windy that the tent just started, like, almost flying away and like I think every single guy that was under that tent just like jumped up and grabbed it and they were all just like hanging by the side of the tent and like just trying to weigh it down and then like we get this warning that like thunderstorms are coming and we're like I don't even know what's going on and like it's supposed to be like lightning and thunder for the next two days so like our games ended up getting like canceled and just like pushed for points like whoever <laughs> whoever had scored more points in their games ended up getting like the the higher finish or whatever um so we scored enough points so we finished like i don't know fifth or something instead of like ninth um but like they still had to play out like the semis and finals um yeah just like all around crazy Like, so much going on. Like, I don't even know what happened. It just feels like a weird dream. But that's Norsega. And at least the food was really good. The food was great.
1: That's insane, because I would picture myself having that opportunity. Like, all right, like I'm representing Canada, international tournament. This is awesome. You don't know what time my game is. I'm waking up at 6. I don't want to be up at 6 if I play at, like, 1. Like,
2: Yeah, exactly. Everything that could go wrong pretty much went wrong except for food no food poisoning so thankful for that because that would probably be worse than everything else combined but yeah it was definitely an
0: experience
1: (laughs) i'm glad you had the mindset to get over it because i could picture a lot of athletes just being completely rattled but like you said i think going into an arseka you almost have to be prepared for that that it's not gonna go well something's gonna change last minute like Mm -hmm. we've had a lot of narcy stories on the show and they've all been a little bit negative but kind of funny in the end so it's all good but yeah you can't go there expecting that like everything's gonna work like clockwork because it just doesn't work that way
2: yeah yeah but created a good story
1: awesome well thanks again for joining us today it was great to learn about your process to get an athlete-centered view upon uh, all the great things that John Mayer and the guys at Coach Your Brains that are doing because yeah, I'm curious it's not as easy to just listen to a podcast I'm like I'm going to do that with my squad it was good to hear about what your experience was as an athlete and things that work things that are kind of you need to revisit things you need to communicate so appreciate that glad to hear that you'll be playing this summer even though it's kind of the COVID season where it's get the Olympics ready with a bunch of four stars and the rest of us don't get to play, but it'll all work out in the end and hopefully see you representing Canada very soon.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.